And okay, welcome to the Filipino Garage. This is a new experimental episode. I will be going over a book called Coming Full Circle by Lenny Strabel. I will go over kind of an outline and read mostly quotes, give some thoughts. But the idea is to do kind of a quick little snippet of the book, a little overview, some takeaways, thoughts, reflections, since I can't be doing... uh, podcast sessions right now in person, which I really miss doing. Uh, I had to cancel a lot of um, episodes because of the shelter-in-place mandate and social distancing and all that. And I don't really like doing things virtually. I might have to do that in the future. I've been a guest on uh, a podcast doing it virtually but it's you lose a little bit of that in-person connection that I actually enjoy a lot of so I have this new thing I'm going to go over books today is one called Coming Full Circle, A Process of Decolonization for Post-1965 Filipino Americans by Lenny Strobel. This has been a pivotal book, I would say, in the Phil-Am literature used by a lot of professors in classes. I was first exposed to it in 2015 when I took Dr. Uh, Rod Magbual's class at Skyline College under the Kababayan Learning Community. And it's basically a book on decolonization. That's what it's called. So what I'll do is I'll give you an overview on the book, kind of break down some of the quotes that I've picked out. I've highlighted a bunch of them which have stood out to me. And then we'll just see where this goes. I'm going to aim to do it within 30 minutes. I'm not sure how... Uh, well, I can do that, but we'll see. Maybe 45 minutes, because there's this is a treasure trove, treasure trove, treasure trove of awesome takeaways, quotes, and all that. So let me let me read. First off, coming full circle. Uh, Coming Full Circle is a project of decolonization based off interviews with post-1965 Filipino Americans through a process of what Strobel calls fishing for knowledge through books and interviews. She organizes the themes of decolonization under three categories, naming, reflection, and action. This naming, reflection, and action framework is influenced by Paulo Freire and from his pivotal work work pedagogy of the oppressed and the idea is that quote oppressed peoples need to name the source of their oppression before they can enact change upon it naming they'll think about it reflection and then impart change through action so there's three generative themes of decolonization that strobel has kind of picked up on and laid out and we'll get to that uh, some background on Lenny Strabel. She came to the U.S. in 1983, and she was a working professional in the Philippines, but then had a hard time finding work in the U.S. There's complications there about how the educational system, though it was built by the American colonial regime in the early 1900s, though it's based upon that system, it's not respected 
expected once you come to the U.S., and that's a narrative that is seen across a lot of Filipino-American immigrants. Here's a quote from Strobel and her reflection coming to the U.S. Quote, When I arrived in the U.S. in 1983, I didn't know that it would be the end of the little brown sister era of my life. Like many Filipinos who have imbibed Hollywood images of the good life, I had dreamed of coming to live in the white man's land. My assumptions about America were shaped by colonial education that glorified everything white and American. I mastered English, the medium of this education, while the two Filipino languages languages I spoke, Tagalog and Pampango, and their accents were quickly traded in, hoping that I may win the master's approval. Sheesh! Okay, so here are some top quotes from the introduction and chapter one, then we'll move on to chapter two. Uh, Just as an overview, it's broken down into six chapters. This book first has a personal narrative reflection of Strabel, then a historical overview of Filipinos and Filipino-Americans in chapter two, then what she calls fishing for knowledge in chapter three, which is a literature review of what's out there in regards to Filipino-Americans, decolonization, post-colonial literature, things like that. And then chapter four is is an analysis of the narrative shared by the Filipino-Americans she interviewed. Chapter 5 is titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, Kind of taking the themes and then putting it into the naming, reflection, and action framework. Then chapter 6, she gives the written accounts of each interviewee. So, I hope that's kind of making sense. Let's see where this goes with these first top quotes from chapter one and the introduction. So, it says... Filipino Americans have always been labeled as an invisible or silent minority. This silence and invisibility is not an accident. Powerful master narratives have constructed it. To unlearn the internalized oppression brought on by colonization, there is a need to study how colonial identities are constructed by master narratives that serve to reinforce the social and economic, political, structures that perpetuate unequal and unjust relationships of power. Okay, that's a good amount, right? So basically, somebody else has told us the stories of Filipinos, Filipino-Americans. That somebody else is constructed by Spanish colonization, American colonization, colonization, colonization. (laughs) Colon, that's in your organ, right? And this... Here's a quote. This results in lack of ethnic pride and produces a cultural inferiority complex towards the colonizers and the inability to articulate or manifest a strong sense of ethnic identity. 
the conspiracy of silence amongst the oppressed for fear of being blamed if we ever admitted failure or discrimination in America, the land of opportunity, continues to be perpetuated to this day as many immigrant Filipinos in the U.S. continue to regale their loved ones in the Philippines with stories of success and affluence while keeping quiet about their lack of sense of belonging and marginalization in this country. Okay, so this master narrative of Filipinos and Filipino-Americans created by outside forces, right, such as the Spanish colonial empire and then American colonization and imperialism has painted a picture of Filipinos and how we view ourselves and then also of the land of opportunity in the U.S. And what Strabel says is this expectation is so ingrained in the minds of Filipinos that even if they experience marginalization or hard times in the U.S., they perpetuate American exceptionalism by only telling stories of doing well in the U.S. to Filipinos back in the Philippines, to their loved ones back home, because of this ingrained expectation of American exceptionalism, that once you've come to the U.S., you're doing well. So, what Strabell then says is, I must look deep within the collective memory of our cultural strength and indigenous imagination for the answers. The healing of the self means the healing of the family. She asks, how can the colonizer give that which he doesn't have? He is not free. He is not whole. For if he was, then he would not have needed to destroy others who were not like him. So chapter one goes over a very personal narrative and reflection of her own decolonization process. Decolonization, that's a big word that I will definitely stumble on for the rest of this little podcast. And she talks about how there's a history here of how we view ourselves, how that view of ourselves was constructed by outside forces that wanted to paint a picture of inferiority, of Filipinos being other, of being less than in culture and in practices than the superior Western culture. And so we'll see that more in the historical overview and the literature review. All right, let's go. How many minutes are we in? This is 10 minutes. Ooh, we can do this in 45 minutes. So chapter two, a historical overview and study. So, quote, Filipino Americans must be able to identify their source of agency, which lies in their recovery of indigenous knowledge and finding therein symbolic meaning that will be useful for decolonization. These Filipino indigenous, indigenous, indigenous knowledge and cultural values, which were repressed and submerged under colonization, need to be reclaimed, reimagined, or recreated in order to recover a strong sense of Filipino identity. This is in relation to the culture of silence that we'll hear more of about from Freire later. And then 
This process, or quote, this study ultimately is about reconciliation and healing. It is about coming full circle and finding a home and a voice of one's own. Okay. So, uh, this historical overview goes over the Filipino-American War, then also the creation of the colonial educational system in the Philippines, which, if you don't know, was set up by America, right? So, the Americanization of educational institutions in the Philippines produced the local elite and alienated the masses. Here's another quote. The educational institutions during this period became an instrument of instilling the idea that American ideas, culture, and educational system were superior to the cultural and educational legacies of Spanish colonization and the indigenous Filipino culture. So, um, this is actually very important right here. One could also read Woodson's Miseducation of the Negro, 1933, and draw parallels between the Filipino experience and African-American educational experience at an earlier period. This is what I always bring up, actually, in conversations with folks. So, I believe it was uh, uh, Woods Woodson's... Woodson, I forgot his actual name, my bad, but his last name is Woodson, and he wrote this book called Miseducation of the Negro after he was actually stationed in the Philippines to help develop the educational system. So he saw how the African Americans were, quote-unquote, miseducated in the United States because he saw how it was being done to Filipinos in the Philippines. And think about the connection. Miseducation of the Negro parallels the miseducation of Lauren Hill. And so we see that there is a pattern on how education, which we say is supposedly supposedly to enlighten people, was actually used to control people and how that system of control was set up in the Philippines. So Lenny Strabel actually throws in here a framework on how she's going to start talking to Filipino Americans. She call she calls up the framework of pagtanong tanong, basically means to ask questions. And Sometimes in academia, especially in the United States and Western academe, they prioritize these frameworks of method methodologies on how to conduct research, right? And it's really from a Western perspective, and it delegitimizes, in this case, Filipino ways of finding information. And so... Lenny Strabel here talks about Pagtanong Tanong, which also referenced Pepua in 1990, quote, has the following basic characteristics. A, the structure is not predetermined. B, the researcher and participants have a mutual and equal relationship. And C, the beginning, middle, and end of the process is, in, is flexible. And so this actually is kind of... Um, separate and opposite of the traditional way that maybe, let's think, anthropologists or psychological studies are done where you have this very scientific, quote-unquote, but 
a more accurate term would be separated way of studying. You have the studier and the one who's being studied, the the one who has the academic knowledge and the one who is the other or to be analyzed. In pagtanong-tanong, the process is kind of combined into one and you see the value of the subject and also the learning process of the interviewer, the one doing the studying. It's actually... Uh, brings up to mind TPAR or YPAR or PAR, right? Participatory action research or the teaching, teacher participatory action research where the people who are being studied actually participates in the creation of the research method and the findings, things like that. And so I found this very important because it's a legitimization of Filipino ways of thinking and viewing and bringing it into academia. So we're not just thinking from this strict and sometimes very dry Western perspective that we'll actually see in the literature review. Okay, chapter four, 16 minutes in, baby, we go in. So chapter four, she calls it fishing for knowledge, the idea that you are fishing in different spaces for the knowledge or to catch something useful that you can then maybe feed to your family, right? Fish, right? Okay, so this is a literature review in four parts. Uh, One, the ideological assumptions of U.S. imperialism and expansion in Asia. Two, Important contemporary works by post-colonial critics outside of the Philippines. Three, Filipino perspective on decolonization. Then four, interdisciplinary works in the fields of orality, literacy, studies. Okay, let's see. First quote. In the racialized imagination of European colonialists, the quote, other was primitive, barbaric, and uncivilized, and therefore deserved to be ruled. As will be clear later, the U.S. expansion in Asia is very much undergirded by this ideology. Post-colonial literature seeks to separate itself from the privileged norm of English literature, which represents the imperial center by questioning the ideological assumptions of this hegemonic literature. They discover that marginality could be a great source of creative energy. Here's a good one. A classic example of this ethnography, talking about how ethnographers in the past really looked at the things they are studying as subjects to critique and as other and as inferior here. Quote, the St. Louis World Exposition in 1906, where a whole tribe of indigenous Filipinos, the Igorots, were put on display in stages of evolution from primitive dog-eating G-string-clad bodies to western-dressed poised brown bodies, symbolizing the triumph of the U.S quote, civilizing mission. So basically, these folks were brought to the U.S., St. Louis World's Fair, World's Expedition, almost like a Disneyland for Americans to look at these folks, and they were put on display, even children, to show, like, look how Filipinos are so uncivilized. But the Philippines had already... uh, 
universities, uh, business folks, people in educated positions, creating culture. This was after the whole uh, Katipunan, where it was a lot of educated folks who went back and forth from Spain and the Philippines. Um, and they were essentialized into these quote-unquote barbaric notions of uh uncivility in order to make the occupation of the philippines kind of what's a good word they're just basically saying see we have to take over this land because they're uncivilized and we as americans are super civilized and so that was their uh rationalization that's how they sold it in the u.s so here Strobel brings in Frere, which is a um, a landmark, you say, or a the foundation of her framework. Frere's pedagogy emphasizes that only the oppressed can liberate themselves when they learn to name the objective reality of their oppression. By naming the social and political structures and the people that maintain these structures, the oppressed would be able to identify how they have internalized their own oppression. Strabel also brings in Jung. Jung says that neglected psychic needs look for external compensation. Jungian psychology finds that there is a correlation between psychological insecurity, anxiety, and fear with the demand for security, order, and force. Basically, uh, they're saying that the Western people had very unhealthy psychological perspectives, and so they were not fully expressed. And so because of that, they were projecting their own insecurities of uncivility and barbar bar barbarism, barbaric tendencies onto others, and were trying to exert force and control over others because they couldn't control themselves, basically. Jung continues to say that, quote, failure to do so results in the identification... Oh, so this is failure to see the the imposition of these mindsets, right? Failure to do so results in the identification with the colonizer so that the colonized begins to act like a colonizer and project to others of his own kind, but maybe of a lower social or economic class, the same projections he has internalized, perpetuating the colonization process. So basically, the colonizer projects these ideas onto the colonized, and if the colonized does not see these projections and does not take note of it, they begin to think for themselves that they are inferior and will thus project these onto others within their own demographic maybe they're maybe they're of lower social economic class right and then will perpetuate these projections one good example right if you don't speak english that well in manila they're gonna make fun of you right how many filipino americans make fun of their own parents of other people of look at their accent right and you're perpetuating the the inferiority, the, the lack of quote-unquote assimilation or education because of this other individual's lack of English proficiency. You've become your own colonizer. God damn it! Okay, so let's go back to some quotes. 
Quote, the, memor- the national memory of America often marginalizes racial and ethnic groups, but the ethnic memory serves as a powerful counter-narrative. Ooh, ethnic memory is not about nostalgia. It is about mytholo- mythologizing a destroyed past or the return to a pristine pre-colonial culture. Ethnic memory is about the construction of new identities out of the painful experiences of the past. Damn, that's why it shows the importance of studying your past, your history. You can reconstruct it and re-engage and recover what was lost. Here, back to education, quote, the public school system with English as medium of instruction together with the, quote, glorification of the American way of life, its heroes and institutions produced an Americanized Filipino consciousness. Filipino consciousness under the Americans was a further deepening of the colonial consciousness that the Spaniards had implanted. Woo! To discover the true Filipino, one must go to the local culture instead of looking at Manila or Makati for a definition of what is Filipino. Here is a quote from the U.S. Philippine Commission in 1905, right? They were setting up the Philippine colonial government and Philippine colonial education during this time. It says, quote, If we can give the Filipino husbandmen a knowledge of the English language and only the most elemental acquaintance of English writings, we will free him from that degraded dependence upon the man of influence of of his own right race. Bruh, so basically they're saying if we give the Filipino the knowledge of the English language and a basic understanding of some of the writings, we will free him, quote-unquote. He won't be dependent on his own race. It says we will free him from the degraded dependence upon the man of influence of his own race. So basically, their whole idea was let's teach them English so they won't be depending on leaders of their own people, right? They're going to glorify English speakers, English literature, Englishly educated people, so they won't have um, a respect or a dependence or reliance on their own local leaders. And in this say, in this case, they say from the degraded dependence upon the man of influence of his own race. Bruh, that's how deep the colonial education goes if y'all didn't know y'all know that now son that's from the u.s philippine commission in 1905 here's a quote if language is a site of ideological struggle, it can also be a site of negotiation. Ah, Language can become an oppositional force and an affirmative force. It can create new ways of rereading history through the reconstruction of suppressed memories. Therefore, language can also create new identities capable of challenging the conditions that negate the voices, desires, and histories of silenced peoples. As a border intellectual himself, Freire emphasizes literacy as the act of knowing. Knowing leads to the ability of the oppressed to decode the oppressive structures of their world and is followed by action that demands a social transformation. Okay, so here we see the paradox, right? Here's a quote. 
Colonial education and its literate intentions to destroy memory of people's epics, chanted courses, and other ritualized performances and their meanings are forgotten. Paradoxically, in decolonization, the appropriation of written discourse becomes a necessary tool for deconstructing the narratives of colonialism and for recovering orality. Okay, so we see that though the written word and English has been used as a tool to discriminate and to put down peoples, it can and has to be used on the flip side as a way to engage and name these institutions of oppression, reflect on that, assess it, and then put forth action. So it's a paradox, right? Even me, I'm speaking English right now, right? But I'm using English to point out the destructive uses of English or how it has been used in the past to undermine local Filipino culture. And so that's the paradox, right? So here is a section called The Re-Emergence of Orality. Quote, oral literary, literary forms also express insight, understanding, and truth. Society has learned to equate literature with intellectual thought, and therefore orality, equated with primitiveness, was judged as incapable of intellectual thought. This is one of the mistaken assumptions about orality. Orality and literacy, therefore, are not two independent things. They take different forms at different times and contexts, and they mutually interact and affect each other. That's why there's uh, a an importance of looking at oral cultures. Here, here's a quote. Oral cultures use formulaic expressions, sayings, proverbs, and cliches as repository, repository of wisdom. Strabel goes into the importance of orality, talking to the elders, talking to the community, finding those roots of oral culture through the sayings, through the idioms within Filipino culture. And so, there is a need to go back fishing, right? She just said fishing in these literature sources, uh, do literature reviews of what's out there, but also to fish in these other sources of wisdom that we have learned to delegitimize in the oral traditions of our culture. We have to legitimize it by going fishing through conversations with our lolas, lolos, through conversations with the local community outside of the imperial centers of Manila, right? And so, that is chapter three. That is 30 minutes. We did not do it in 30 minutes, but we're just two chapters away. Maybe we could do it in 45 minutes. Let's see. Chapter four, cooking and eating the fish. Yummy. Gener generative themes and analysis. So basically in this chapter, Strabel lays down the groundwork for analyzing. So basically themes assessment of what is given through the interviews. So basically coding, right? Taking the major themes and summarizing it. So she says, decolonization is a project of, quote, digging up memories from one's personal history and mining these memories as a new source of meaning. These are the 11 generative themes. 
the effective content of decolonization, the power of naming and telling, the role of language, the need for Filipino cultural and historical knowledge, the role of memory, imagining the Filipino-American community, new expectations and visions, the process of building community institutions, the generational responsibilities, educational expectations, the gender issue, and the role of Filipino spirituality. Okay, that's a good number of things. Let's go one by one, and I'll read a quote from each one. First, the effective content of decolonization. Decolonization allowed participants to name and acknowledge their feelings of denial, shame, insecurity, loneliness, and inferiority about being Filipino. One of the participants, Luz, says, you should have some peace in your heart to nurture the culture that you know would be good for the community. Number two, the power of naming and telling. Decolonization is the ability to narrate one story in a manner that makes sense and makes meaning out of all the experiences of the past. Number three, the role of language. Lori says that her father never wanted me near the language. He said that if I learn to speak Tagalog, my English will be hindered and I will not succeed in my education. Quote, the Filipino indirect communication pattern has been identified as pahiwatig, evocative ways of expressing the need or want of something. Pahiwatig is understood as being grounded on the value of pakikiramdam, keen sensitivity to a complex of verbal and nonverbal cues interacting within a given communication context. And pakikipagkapwatao, pakikipagkapwatao, Kapwatao, to feel one with the other, from Magai in 1995. So here we see the importance of language, the uh, need to understand language, to understand culture, but also the loss of language because of internalized colonization. Um, next, the need for Filipino cultural and historical knowledge. The invisibility of Philippine history in the participants' education in the U.S. has consequences for one's self-perception, just as critically as the loss of the Filipino language. Teresa says, I was so busy reading about a culture that existed outside my home that I was not aware of the beauty that that existed in our home. Quote, sources of knowledge and wisdom such as folk sayings, proverbs, stories, myths, and folklore, songs, dances, and humor must not have been considered, have not been considered as legitimate sources of knowledge in the colonial culture. Cheryl says, on Filipino television and movies, you see light-skinned people represent the Filipino. If the actors and ex- and actresses have dark complexions, they are the comedians or they play the role of the ugly monsters. Quote, decolonization makes it possible to create counter-narratives that displaces the dominating narratives which perpetuate internal oppression and silence. Whew, I know this is a lot. I know this is a lot of information, fam. We're 35 minutes in. Let's get this. The role of memory. 
quote, myths, folk tales, proverbs, folk beliefs, songs, poems, epics, rituals, humor are teaching tools in an oral culture for how to live with nature, with other people, and with the spirit world. Filipinos are residually oral. This is from Alaras 1993 and Strabel 1994. Even with the perceived high rates of literacy because of the American patterned educational system. Quote, to claim memory at the personal level is to engage in the process of creating a collective memory with a people's history. The past is, in a sense, gone forever. There is no pure pre-colonial Filipino culture to return to. However, in memory and remembering, a Filipino-American can reclaim and appropriate anew the indigenous traditions in a symbolic way. So this is why... It's important to dig and fish in our own memory, in our own family's memory, in what is still alive through conversations with our elders and in these poems that we have not really given honor to because of the media of entertainment that has glorified more Western forms of consumption and media creation. So next, imagining the Filipino-American community, new expectations and visions. Quote, decolonization is really just a starting point for community building. Luz says, what is being asked of you is not to lose sight of the parent culture. You have your own struggles within the U.S. context of racial politics, but you must also help in the political and cultural education of Filipino immigrants. Quote, the purpose of decolonization is not to save others, but to understand and have a critical consciousness. Cultural and community work can mean a certain level can mean a certain level of isolation. The participants will need to know that they are not alone. They need to develop support networks and a deep level of trust for their internal processes and in other Filipino Americans who are on the same journey with them. So the decolonization process, right? is not just a personal thing, but it's one done in communion, in community with others, in kapwa, in a shared identity with others. Next, the process of building community institutions. Quote, related to the creation of new expectations and visions is a process of building community institutions. Critical consciousness must implicate the centers of power, making that power visible and subject to contestation. Okay, so you go through the process of decolonization on a personal community level. There's the importance of building the institutions that will last longer than our own personal lives, right? Next, the generational responsibilities. Quote, to see their parents within a historical framework shifts from the sense of blame. Why didn't you maintain the language? Why didn't I know about these historical events? Why didn't you teach me to understanding? Now I understand why my parents are the way they are, why they think and believe the way they think. Family relationships are healed and deepened. Dialogue happens. Luz says, decolonization for Filipino-American college students also means to recognize the construction of their parents' experience in America as well as their own. So, you go through a decolonization process, you will have more empathy for things that your parents do, even if they are not, quote-unquote, decolonized. When are we all fully decolonized, right? Have humility and have empathy for your parents, though they may exhibit toxic forms of 
of colonial mentality, there's a reason why they are within that state. And a decolonization process will give you patience and humility for them because that that empathy and that understanding is necessary for true liberation, right? Not just for ourselves, not just for the future, but also for those who have come before us. Next, educational expectations. Filipino-American students need teachers who will understand their experience, who will make needed resources from non-traditional sources available. That's why it's important to have Filipino educators and those who look like us teaching us in positions of power within the educational system. Next, the gender issue. Here, Strabel acknowledges that there's not that much information and themes within the gender issue in, at homes, but one of observation she did make is, quote, when the father is present in the narrative, his influence does not seem as positive as the mother's, and the participants talk mostly about their mother's influence in their lives. Is this because the home is traditionally the mother's domain? So Strabel also acknowledges a need for more research into this specific facet of Filipino-American culture and decolonization, what the dynamics of gender is within the home, especially from a parent and children relationship. Next, the role of Filipino spirituality. Filipino Catholicism is an appeal to the gods for inner strength, lakas ng loob, rather than appeal for salvation or release from guilt. The coercive tactics of colonization pressured Filipinos to accommodate the forms of Catholicism, but it did not transform the indigenous consciousness. Filipino indigenous consciousness is more animistic and polytheistic and at home in the spirit world and its multiple gods. So the summary of this chapter says, Naming is a powerful act because it creates awareness and a language for expressing the deeply felt intuitions that were always lurking just below the surface of the psyche. Quote, the Filipino story has always been told and written by outsiders who impose their frames of references on Filipinos. To counter these narratives, to counter these narrations, decolonization recovers the history of a people through the recovery of cultural memory. To decolonize is to put together the dismembered past in order to make sense of the trauma of the present. That was by Baba in 1990. Quote, to know that Filipinos have a tradition of resistance, heroes, martyrs, heroines, a well, heroines, heroines, a well-developed oral literature and a spiritual connection to the creator, to nature, and to all created beings is to know that those narratives of being, quote, other, that is, primitive, inferior, uncivilized, not as good as, and other narratives from the outside were lies told to silence and dominate. So, this chapter really goes into the importance of finding our personal, familial, and community and cultural stories in order to find a narrative that is a little bit closer to our own inner truth and experienced realities rather than just accepting without question the narratives that have been imposed upon us by colonial regimes. So, chapter five, where do we go from here? 
Quote, decolonization means to reconnect with the past in order to understand the present and to be able to envision the future. These three, past, present, and future, on another level of consciousness coexist simultaneously. The past is in the present and the future is already being born in the present. Decolonization is a process that makes the mythical and historical past available to the present. To understand that culture is a site of ideological struggle is to develop the ability to become a border crosser in order to build coalitions with other oppressed groups and use one's position as a starting point for dialogue with people similarly located. As the participants learn to fill the gaps in their knowledge about Filipino and Filipino-American history and culture, they are also able to imagine a future, healing the cultural amnesia and sense of shame about being Filipino and Filipino-American. So, here is the naming, reflection, and action framework and a summary. The framework below summarizes these patterns and commonalities through the framework of naming, reflection, and action. Naming. To decolonize is to be able to name internalized oppression, shame, inferiority, confusion, and anger. To decolonize is to acquire cognitive knowledge about Filipino culture and history. To decolonize is to understand the meaning of loss of cultural memory and its consequences. To decolonize is to understand how the loss of language affects Filipino identity. To decolonize is to heal the self, heal the culture. To decolonize is to name the oppressor and the oppressive social structures. To decolonize is to recognize the orality of Filipino culture. Reflection. To decolonize is to develop the ability to question one's reality as constructed by colonial narratives. To decolonize is to develop critical consciousness that can understand the consequences of silence and invisibility. To decolonize is to understand the need to recover memory. To decolonize is to understand the generational gap as being constituted by historical realities that shape each generation's experiences. To decolonize is to understand ideological struggles within a multicultural context and the relationships of power within these struggles. To decolonize is to understand the need for connection with the parent culture. To decolonize is to ask, where do I go from here? And lastly, action. To decolonize is to give to decolonize is to decide to give back to the Filipino-American community. To decolonize is to learn to question. To decolonize is to support and become involved in developing community institutions. To decolonize is to take leadership positions in moving the Filipino-American community towards visibility and empowerment. To decolonize is to tell and write one story that in the telling and writing, others may be encouraged to tell their own. Woo! That last one, very powerful. So, quote, This study reveals that when the participants become critically conscious and learn to question their family experiences, they see the positive contributions of their parents and families to the decolonization process, as in, for example, the passing of cultural practices and beliefs in unconscious and conscious ways to their children. 
And boom, that's coming full circle. Chapter 6 is a collection of the narratives written and approved by the interviewees for additional reflection for folks. Overall, this is a great book. Uh, a good read, definitely a little bit on that dense academic side during the literature review, but very from the heart and human during the personal reflections of Strabel and also in the narratives that were interweaved throughout the book in terms of finding what were the generative themes that were common among the participants in the study and how can we get some form of framework for decolonization that can be used to encourage and empower other Filipino Americans who have experienced a sort of cultural loss because of the history of in this case, colonization. So that's that. Hope y'all enjoyed. That is the first Kuya Book Club, the Kuya audiobook podcast book analysis. Um, it was mainly a lot of me just reading the powerful quotes, right? I highly suggest you go on Amazon. It's available there. If you actually have like Amazon Kindle that subscription thing, you actually get access to it for free in addition to other books and stuff. So please let me know what you thought of this episode. Uh, if you have any specific book requests that you want to see, if you have ideas on how to better structure or maybe what you want to see more of, less of, more reflection, less just reading quotes, more whatever, whatever, just let me know, familia. Pamilya, mga kaibigan, sana masaya kayo kahit nandito na tayo sa itong quarantine, nasa bahay lang at kung ano-ano yung ginagawa, gina, ginagawa. Hope you all learn Tagalog. If you don't, it's never too late, fam. Uh, especially for the Filipino-Americans that were not taught because of the fear that it would affect your accent, right? We have pity for the folks in the sense that they were forced to lose their culture, but it's never too late to try to learn. All right? All right. Much love. Go to kuyachris.com. Uh, send me an email on IG and all that. Let me know your thoughts. Every listener's perspective and feedback will help improve this project and future projects for uh, in a multitude of ways trying to find that deep English word. All right, peace, y'all.